Today I want to talk about mistakes. I think this is something that we can all really identify with. You know, if you've breath in your body, you will have made a mistake, and actually, I may even make a few before I leave today. <laughs> so, you know, from time to time, we're going to get it wrong, and we're going to make poor choices. And this is kind of the legacy that Adam and Eve left us. You know, they sinned, and so we will sin, and we will mess it up intentionally or unintentionally because this world is a fallen world and very imperfect and so are we. But what I want to pull out today is how we respond to our own stupidity. How we relate to ourselves when we make a mistake really matters. I want us to look at two people who messed up big time, who were wrestling with their own demons and that is Judas and Peter. So I'm going to set the scene, I'm going to read some scriptures and then I'm going to pray. So just picture the scene. It's the Last Supper. Jesus has been with these guys for over three years. He knows them, you know, he's lived with them. He knows who leaves the lid off the toothpaste. You know, he really knows them. He knows their foibles and all their wonders and they're all sitting around. And he knows he's kind of got to prepare them for what is about to come because he knows what is about to happen. Just picture the anxiety, the tension in the room as Jesus is telling these 12 men that he really loves, you know what guys, you're all gonna leg it at the first sign of trouble. You're all going to desert me. You're all going to leave. Just picture the tension in that room. And let's read from Matthew 26. And Peter declared to him, Though they all fall away, I will never do so. And Jesus said to him solemnly, I declare to you this very night, before a single rooster crows, you will disown me and deny me three times. Wowzers. So the stakes are high and the momentum is building. Can you just picture them murmuring to each other as they walk up through the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane? And I wonder, were they discussing the words of Jesus? I'm not going to leave him. Are you going to leave him? I'm not going to run away. I'm here. I'm in for the blah, 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 blah as they waited and they get to the garden of Gethsemane and I don't know about you but in a tense situation the last thing you want to do is wait have you ever I I remember once I had a root canal and I had to wait for two weeks and you see the two weeks in the waiting it was awful it was almost as bad as the root canal itself and so this is the position these guys are in they're waiting each one growing more aware of their fear against a backdrop of their personal inadequacy. And we know in the Mount of Olives that Jesus is in deep distress and deep travail. He's at his lowest ebb. And Peter wasn't the only one who did something wrong three times. Let's pick the story up. Matthew 26, verse 44. 
And Jesus came to his disciples and he found them sleeping for a third time. And he said to them, are you still asleep? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of wicked sinners. Get up, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And as he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now Judas had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus saying, greetings rabbi, and he kissed him. So here we have Peter making promises that he can't keep and Judas making promises that he can't stomach. Let's scoot a little bit on and read from verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a maid came up to him and said, you were also with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he had gone out to the porch, another maid saw him and said to bystanders, this fellow was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it and disowned him with an oath saying, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, you certainly were one of them. Your accent betrays you. Then Peter began to curse and swore an oath saying, I do not know the man. And at that, the cock crowed and Peter remembered what Jesus had said and he went outside and wept bitterly. Note Peter's response. Let's scoot just a little bit forward into Matthew 27. When Judas, his betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, Judas was afflicted in mind and troubled for his former folly. With little more than self-dread of the consequences, he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. And they replied, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And casting the pieces of silver into the temple, that was like the sanctuary, he departed and went off and hung himself. So here we have two men, two moral failings, two mistakes, two poor choices, and two very different outcomes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that what you want to say in this talk will remain in the heart of each person here. Lord God, I pray that you will do what you want to do. I pray that anything of me would just fall away, but that everything of you will remain. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege to share your word in Jesus' name. So I want to look at three things. I want to look at why different folks respond differently when they make a mistake. I want to look at how God responds to us when we make a mistake. And then I want to give you five really practical keys on what to do when, when you mess it up. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to any of you, so please, you know, we're all on an evil platform here. So we can all relate to getting it wrong, or is it just me? Put your hand up if you've ever got it wrong. <laughs> Oh good, I'm in good company then. 
So I wonder why some people respond differently than others. Well, the reason for this is there's a synergy between our lived experience and our relationship with ourselves. So when you're growing up, you may have been in an environment where mistakes were a point for learning and you were encouraged. But I sadly believe that many of us have been in a situation where mistakes were not encouraged, um, whether that be from our parents or from schooling or from whatever happened in the playground or our social groups. And so it's important to know that as you grow up and as you're making mistakes, you can start to form what we call in psychology core beliefs, okay? Now these core beliefs are beliefs that, that really shape your personality and they become like your intrinsic truth. But the problem with core beliefs is sometimes they're not true. So some of the core beliefs that I would come across and, and I know that I've had to shed are things like I'm unlovable, that everybody else has their act together, there's just something wrong with me, I'm a bit of a of a glitch. Some of the core beliefs you might believe about yourself is that I'm just too much of a mess. I can't be healed. I'm just not as good as everybody else. And so these core beliefs become your truth and they shape the choices that you make in life. They shape how you see yourself and how you think, not necessarily the truth, but how you think other people see you. And it's really, really important to highlight this because how we relate to ourselves is very important because it filters how we relate to God. So I know growing up, uh, the religion that I was in was very much, um, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this. And then just maybe, if you're lucky, if the wind's blowing in the right direction, you'll get to heaven. And I remember as a child having a very, very clear picture of God in my mind. And he was an older man with white hair and a white beard and a, and a sort of gnarled hands. And this was my picture of God formed from my core belief. And as soon as you made a mistake, he was, aha, gotcha. I knew you were, I knew you were rubbish. I knew you were terrible. I knew you were dot, 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 dot. That was my warped misperception of who God was. So I would like you to think about your childhood, your adolescence, your young personhood. What happened when you made a mistake or messed up? Was the punishment disproportionate to the crime? Perhaps you were criticized or mocked or shamed when you got it wrong. And the problem with this is that it allows no room then for error because you're treading on eggshells. You just do not want to get it wrong again. And so you go one of two ways. You will either be a perfectionist so that you, never, you, know, you, you, you desperately try and manage those things or you become a, I just don't care, whatever, 
and you just stop trying. And the problem for a perfectionist is that they set themselves up for a fall every time. Because we know the only one who is perfect is God. None of us are perfect. And so in their shame, they can just try and manage and manage and manage. And that keeps them stuck from all that God wants to give them. And in a state of hypervigilance, which is not good for us in body, mind, or spirit. Then on the other side of that spectrum, there's the I don't care. And the I don't care is look for people to blame. It's not my fault, it's their fault. And both of these things keep us stuck. And church, we're not meant to be stuck. We're meant to be effervescent and growing and abundant and, and, and being filled and changed from glory to glory. And yes, that's messy. It's not clean and tidy. It's messy. It's a messy process. And as good Christians, we know we're meant to forgive. Yeah? And some of us are really good at forgiving other people who've wronged us or wound us up or whatever. But what I want to pull out of this talk today is that often the hardest person to forgive can be yourself. The hardest person to forgive can be yourself. Now, we don't know Judas's background, but what we do know is that he could not reconcile what he had done. He was so consumed with self-hate and self-loathing that this blinkered him to any choices that he might have. And so he committed suicide. And this is what happens. So it's really important that we know where we're coming from as we respond to mistakes. Can you identify with Judas? I know that I can. And I think it's really important that we just recognize that when we're wallowing in self-recrimination and beating ourselves up, that we're actually doing the enemy's job for him. We're just doing the enemy's job for him and it brings no glory to God whatsoever. Because God's responses to our mistakes, well, God knew we were going to make dumb choices. You know, it doesn't come as a surprise to God. Nothing does. And so in his mercy and in his wisdom and in his love, he has something for us to give us when we make dumb choices, when we mess it up. And that is the gift of grace. And so the gift of grace just allows us to go to God when we've made a mess. And God wants us, when we've made a mistake, to come to him in James, I think it's James 2, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He wants us to be open and honest and just willing to admit our mistakes and learn and grow. I think in what I've just read in the scriptures, it's really, really interesting that all the other disciples had legged it. They'd run away. But Peter went near to Jesus he was hanging out in that courtyard to get a glimpse, to see. He went towards Jesus, 
not away from him in his fear and his anxiety and his worry. Judas went to men, not God. Have you ever made a mistake and then went to another person in the hope that they're going to say, look, it's okay, sure, you were very tired, or there was mitigating circumstances, and you look to men to make you feel better about what you've just done. And we have something that we can really learn here, because Judas went to men, and it didn't work out very well. You see, healthy relationships are all always full of this dynamic that we call rupture and repair, okay? So we know we're going to get it wrong in families, in friendships, in any sort of relational dynamic. But when we learn that we can have that person repair the relationship and we can come together again, it actually strengthens the bond. Have you, has, has somebody ever like wound you up or, or said something wrong and then you make good and actually that friendship you know is tight and you know where the boundaries in that friendship are it makes the friendship or the relationship strong and this is what God wants us to be like with him when we create a rupture he's right there to create the repair beloved God is our defense so we don't need to defend ourselves we don't need to look around and and blame circumstances or, or other things just leave that with God. He's our healer. You know, he can take your mess and make it into a message that he can use to really minister and reach other people. Bless you. He is our ever-present help in time of need. Ever-present He doesn't just show up if we're lucky. He's our ever-present help in time of need. He is our finisher. He will bring to completion the good work he has begun in you. It's really good to remind yourself of that when you've just put your foot in it. Actually, you know what? God is going to bring to completion the good work he's begun in me. I know, go figure, but there you have it. He's our provider and he will provide what you need to come good in the situation. He is God of the impossible. And he is God of a new thing. And he can use your mistake to redirect you in the direction that he wants you to go. I think that's exciting. I don't know about you. And I think that is good news, church. That God can can change us. And if you think that's good news, maybe tell your face. Maybe it's the heat. You all look as if you're, you're flaking. I love you all. I know I can get away with it. Rupture repair. You see, rupture repair. <laughs> see, the devil works to undermine our concept of God's grace. He's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. And here's the, you know, he, he, he's like a fisherman. He, he throws the bait out and you might take the bait And he reels you in and then he's like, ha ha, that's your fault. And he pours the blame on you. He fights dirty church. Make no mistake about it. He's a nasty piece of work. 
And his, you'll know when the devil has is, is been manipulating your concept of yourself and your concept of your own self-forgiveness when you feel shame or hurt or blame. And so he uses that so that we run from the Father, not to him. I love in John 10.10, 10, it sums this up really succinctly. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life eternal. I wanted to give a little visual of this process so that it's really in the forefront of your mind um, of how God deals with our mistakes, contrasted against how the devil manipulates our mistakes. So if we can put God up first. Brilliant. So with God, when we've made a mistake, God gives us grace. The devil, on the other hand, gives us condemnation. Okay? He's, he's, he's there and he makes you feel so bad about yourself. Not good. God is very quick to forgive. He's slow in anger and rich in love. The devil, well, the devil's like, do you think anybody could forgive that? <laughs> I don't think so. And he whispers in your ear. With God, we have self-forgiveness. With the devil, he stirs up in us self-loathing and self-hate. With God, there is unconditional love. Do you know that there's not a moment of the day when God doesn't love you? Not one moment. He may not love some of the choices you make or some of the mistakes you make or some of the wrong things you do, but he never ever stops loving you. Whereas the devil gives us what we call conditions of worth. You'll only measure up if dot, dot, dot. God gives us secure attachment with him. And I preached on this probably this time last year. And that's the relationship that he wants with us is a secure attachment so we know where we stand he's not going to pull the rug out from under you we're safe the devil he he just breeds insecurity and detachment and particularly from the truth God creates an environment for learning when we've made a mistake the devil creates an environment which confuses and wounds and hurts. God will bring growth from our mistakes when we bring them to him. The devil will bring decay. So how we relate to God and how we relate to ourselves when we've messed up really does matter. I wonder if Judas had waited just three more days just three more days, if he'd humbled himself before Jesus in repentance, what would have happened? Unfortunately, Judas ran and Peter wept. Peter owned his actions and repented. And here's what's really, really exciting. True repentance brings about divine opportunity. 
And that's what we need when we've created a mess of our own making, isn't it? We need opportunities. We need just options for things to be changed and made good. So perhaps it can help when you've made a mistake to see it as, you know what, God, I'm praying in this mistake for a divine opportunity. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying you into the situation. I'm sorry I've made the mistake, but come in and change it. So what can we do when we have made a mistake? I've got five keys that I want to give you, okay? The first key is as soon as the Holy Spirit brings your mistake to your conscious awareness, because sometimes we're not even sure, you know, aware that we've, we've messed up. But when it comes to your attention, it's imperative firstly to act fast and go to God so the devil doesn't get a toehold. Okay? If you don't take it to God as a knee-jerk reaction straight away, you're really in a very vulnerable position because you're allowing then your own flesh nature to maybe go to men and not God, as Judas did. Or maybe you try and rationalize your way out of it. So go to God, first off, straight away. Second key, own it. Don't make excuses for it. Just own your mistake. I love um, Americans go, my bad. <laughs> you know, I love the ownership of that. You know, just own it. You know, God already knows. And I can tell you this. God will never shame you. He will never mock you. He will never humiliate you. So when you're owning your mistakes and you're going to God, you're in a safe place. Third key, remind yourself who God is, what he's done in the past. You know, our God is faithful. And I know I can look back at some of the clangers that I have dropped. And I can see how God either used them to redirect me used him to teach me but his faithfulness is wrought through all of them and so the third thing is remind yourself of God's faithfulness in your past mistakes and look how he he brought something from that mess the fourth one is pray for wisdom it may be that you need to do something to rectify your mistake show him how to make it right sorry to show you how to make it right. So be open to the learning opportunity that God gives you. Okay, is the fourth thing. And finally, the fifth thing. Can we be quick? Can we get better at forgiving ourselves when we've messed up? You know, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you're either in Christ or you're not. And if you've given your life to Jesus, then you're in Christ. And so the Bible doesn't lie. It says there is no condemnation. So why are you condemning yourself when you've made a mistake? Please stop it. Please. It isn't good for us because it keeps us looking back and there's work to be done and God needs us to look forward, not back. So let's be face down like Peter in grace. 
and let's choose life. That flowchart was a very clear example of how one route takes you one way and the other route takes you another. And I'm going to finish with a scripture from Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And I can just see the Father heart of God saying, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Beloved, I hope you can really think about your mistakes. I hope you can really reflect on this talk and take it in because the next time you make a mistake, and guess what, you will, so will I. It's really important that we look at how we're relating to ourselves, that we aren't beating ourselves up and wallowing in condemnation, that we're not doing the devil's job for him, that we're going to God and actually receiving healing and receiving help. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anybody here for whom this has struck a chord, that you will bring healing to them. Lord, I pray that you would show them how you see them, not how they see themselves. Lord, I pray that you will cut through the lies of the enemy uh, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of the blood of Christ. Lord, I ask that you will break every chain that is holding people captive and stuck in self-recrimination and regret, in any self-loathing, in any condemnation or any decay. Lord, I ask that you would do that here and now. And Lord God, I pray that as we go into this week, that you would show us new insights into our relationship with ourselves that are warping our view of you and that you will let us walk in truth so that we can walk in your way and walk in your life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.